Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. B-Sides. More B-Sides. We're going to kick it off with Excalibur 42, the riot, r- riotous? Riotous. That? riotous. Riotous return of you-know-who. Uh, which Excalibur? I'm assuming that's referring to... Alan Davis? Uh, the Crazy Gang. The Crazy Gang? No, I didn't think it's referring to Alan Davis. Obviously, it's referring to Alan Davis. When I first saw Riotous, I actually sort of read that as Righteous, but then I... Oh, yeah. I mean, it's that's not what it is. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, Alan Davis, uh, more or less at his best on this cover. Uh, a lot of... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rate it, right? Well, I'm not going to rate it, but I, I'm going to give you my impression. Uh, Kitty, Nightcrawler, and Rachel look great. Megan and Captain Britain... They look okay. Kevin Brennan looks good. Yeah, I don't know. He, he looks good too. She's just doing a you know a side a side thing. I don't really care about the pose so much. It's just something in the detail in Kitty, Nightcrawler, and Rachel that seem um, greater uh, than Captain Britain and Megan. So I don't know if that's an inking issue or uh, an Alan Davis issue, but I just feel like there was more attention paid to those three characters versus the other two. I mean, it's still you know a good Alan Davis. Uh, outing so any criticism i put against it is you know should be taken with that that grain of salt what about widget what about uh dragon <laughs> his name i can't remember all Lock- of a lockheed lockheed uh widget's fine lockheed's fine and the okay. the little guy uh, in the foreground uh, walking towards Excalibur that says prepare. And I don't like this, right? Because if you're going to make all of your R's W's, make all of your R's W's. Don't say prepare. Should be prepare. <laughs> well, how, how do how do you how do you write out prepare? Well, you just replace the R with the W and leave it up to the reader to figure out how it's pronounced. Uh, I guess. Because if he can't pronounce the R's in the first part of the word, how can he pronounce the R in the second part of the word? I have the same problem. Excalibur is being attacked by a giant-sized Tweety Bird. Eh, That's a perspective, because as we'll find out, it's a normal-sized Tweety Bird in the issue. Right. So, uh, we open it up, and immediately, uh, your your eye, anyways, dazzled, uh, delighted, treated with traditional Alan Davis artwork. So good. It's a highlight this this uh, this round of B sides. Yeah, I mean the writing's not bad either. He's also writing this issue, and uh, it just it feels like you know old old Excalibur. Hundred percent, right? You could. You, you don't even miss Chris Claremont. Not really. No. Um, you can. He so he definitely has the voice of all of these characters, and I would say. I mean, there's a few tie-ins with other things that have happened. Well, actually, Alan Davis things that have happened. So I really think that Alan Davis is looking at this and being like, let's just forget about just about anything else that I didn't do. <laughs> and yeah, he, uh, he's sort of like, let's let's wrap up all the threads of all the things that happened. Yeah. That wasn't my stuff. But I would almost we'll sort of pick up where we left off with Nightcrawler being into into uh, what's her face? Megan again. Yep. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, Captain Britain being uh, kind of a grump and maybe a bit jealous, right? Because we had kind of that turnaround, and I don't remember if that was an Alan Davis turnaround or somebody else, where they're like, oh, yeah, Captain Britain was mastermind for for a bunch of issues. And never mind, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> just a quick little retcon to kind of tie up all that stuff that we just don't want to deal with. 
But um, yeah, I would say that you could read, you could take out, um, you have to leave the cross time caper in there, which was started by Alan Davis, but finished by many other different people. Uh, but you take out everything else that's happened that's non-Alan Davis, uh, you know, influenced or started with uh, and and condense it. And this this is just like the next piece of that. Although it also does some references to some non-Excalibur stuff. Like there's references to Excalibur's appearance in uh, other issues at some point. So, I mean, it's not completely, you know, we're just removing all of that stuff. Also, it should be noted, it's not the crazy gang. It's the... the uh, the, the crazy gang is the, uh, the the ones that are like the cards and stuff. I don't this care. Is, this is the uh, Technet. the other Technet. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Gate Crasher and Technet. Uh, I, don't I was going to say Gate Crasher and the gang because I couldn't remember Technet, but either way it works just as well. Isn't the crazy gang associated with these Technet folks? I don't think so, but oh. maybe. Okay. Well, anyways, my memory on. Both of these teams is very minimal. Yes, same. So we start right back up on the pier, uh, and we haven't seen this pier in in quite a while. Um, But the crazy gang is, uh, you know, making a plan. Apparently they live there now. I mean, what else are they going to do? But they've... (laughs) uh, They're operating on orders from Saturnine in which they need to go, going right back to Excalibur Special Edition number one. They need to capture Phoenix for some reason. They are international or whatever you want to call it bounty hunters and so gate crasher has uh developed a plan or has hatched a plot or something like that the title is a hatch is plotted and uh and she's going to execute on that hatched plot and as you said alan davis is the writer penciler mark farmer is the inker um is he always does he always ink alan davis Maybe. Yeah, Maybe they're a team, dream team. Right, right. Supreme. Because really there's no, sometimes like when you, well, when I've looked at maybe uh, Jim Lee when he's not inked by um, whoever, it's just not the same. Um, and this this, this really is um, f- the same to me as all of the other Alan Davis stuff that we've seen. So I don't know. I've never really paid attention to his inker, but I want to believe that he and Mark Farmer are just the dream team. I'm thinking so, but I don't know either. I don't know. Mike Heisler's the letter. Glennis Oliver's the colorist. Terry Cavanaugh's the editor. Tom DeFalco's the editor-in-chief. By the way, Adam Excalibur was created by Chris Claremont and Alan Davis. Chris Claremont, of course, is no longer with the company. So does he get royalties? Probably not. Well, technically, this is around the time that X-Men 2 came out. So he's still with the company. But, yeah, I mean, he's on his way out. I guess what? It'll be... Probably by the time that X-Men 2 came out, he was no longer with the company. So you're right. Oh, absolutely. I wonder if this kind of credit to Chris Claremont and Alan Davis continues in the next couple of issues. I don't know why you wouldn't, but... Yeah, I I would imagine so. When's the last time we remember TechNet? Because I remember remember TechNet, The Pier, and Jamie Braddock Uh, for some reason. Jamie Braddock, and then there was uh, the guy, the... The guy whose face they manipulated into being looking like somebody else. Was it Alistair something or other or I don't think so, because he's like a main character, isn't he? It was it was a it was like a villain, wasn't it? I don't know. There was like a skinny guy that they turned into a woman for a minute. Yeah. Or maybe that might have been Jamie Braddock. But that's I feel like it was sometime in the cross time caper there was a little bit of a side story with these guys. But I my memory's okay. a little fuzzy on all that. But Yeah, same. My last remembrance of 
them is being at the pier. So it's nice that we start right back off um, at the same place. Meanwhile, They've though, apparently just been hanging out there. Excalibur, they're hanging out at the lighthouse, and evidently, uh, they had solved a crime or a happening that was going on. And uh, they've been up all night, and the radio is really celebrating their efforts. And Nightcrawler's kind of like, "Man, what about all those rescue workers and first responders? Why don't they get credit? Why aren't they heroes?" Yeah, he right. says they, they should get more credit because they don't have superpowers. Right. Well, Braddock's like, uh, or uh, 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 Captain Britain's like, yeah, it's because we've got powers. And then, right, Night Clarell's like, yeah, they're even more heroic because they went in and did whatever they did without power. So it's a nice little commentary there. Uh, Megan's making breakfast. And I, I think, I'm assuming this is going to come back. This there The guy on the radio that keeps getting referred to is a Mr. Or Orpington, Orpington Smythe. Smythe believes that Excalibur's heroic efforts should be rewarded. You're probably right. So he's probably, the, Brian refers to him as a leech using the publicity around our activities to get himself noticed. So, I mean, it feels like, feels like a thread. Right. Maybe, maybe this person will orchestrate sort of the downturn of Excalibur to profit on stories or something. But yeah, nice to see him taking a page from Chris Claremont and starting to weave in some things that he can deal with later. Uh, Megan's but make- in the meantime, Megan is boiling eggs. Yeah, which is uh, I guess a thing you do. I mean, I don't hard boiled eggs for breakfast. Fresh hard boiled eggs for breakfast. I love hard boiled eggs. I like hard boiled eggs too. But I, I don't. How many fresh out of the boiling pot hard boiled eggs do you eat? Probably one. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, this is too hot. Well, you know, I I make like twelve, and then I eat one a day yeah. for a couple of days. They don't they don't last very long. So you got me. I don't know if you can do twelve and eat them for the next twelve days. Adam, I, I, I usually have one or two straight out of the the, the pot. I have uh, a hard boiled egg cooker. I do too. Uh, yeah, and then you can do like hard, medium, and soft. I don't yeah. play with those mediums and softs. Just just the hards, but perfect hard boiled egg every time. Yeah, uh, and then yeah, you throw them in the. When you say they don't last very long, they don't last very long because you eat them, or they, I mean, they it takes a long time for them to go bad. It does, but I feel like they start to go bad around the twelve day mark. Oh sure, I don't think they've ever lasted more than twelve days in my house. You put them on salads, eat them for breakfast, yeah. snack. Yeah. Anyways, so but but the other thing that I I got to take issue with is that Kitty just wants, uh, or uh, Rachel I think just wants one egg. No, that's Nightcrawler that wants one egg. Who eats just one egg for breakfast? That's not enough calories or protein. Well, it's a hard-boiled egg. So, I mean, <laughs> you know. doesn't add more calories and protein. It's the same as... It feels more substantial than if you're getting, like, scrambled eggs. If you were scrambled eggs, you'd want two. If you're getting over easy, you'd want two. Right. I, but yeah. if you're getting a hard-boiled egg, I, I'm with Kurt. I think I'd only want one. Mm, okay. That's fair. Kitty just wants toast. That's that's true. But then uh, out of the hot pot flies the uh, an egg and it goes yarg hot 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 hot. It pings around the room, smacks Captain Britain in the head, lands on the table, and it hatches while it's talking. Then Brian makes a little joke. I'll just have toast, I think. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Which is you know is sold because of the art. Exactly. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You get great looks on everybody's faces as all of this is happening. And then as the egg is cracking out, you get wide eyes of everybody noticing as the egg says, Tried to cook my goose, eh? And I think that is 
and this probably just goes without saying, but that is one of the areas that Alan Davis just excels at is faces. He's, yeah. he's mastered face, facial construction, facial expression. It's, it's very rare when you see a panel of a poorly drawn face. And if it is, it's probably like way in the background where he just didn't have uh, the space to draw the detail. Really Even great Lockheed. Yeah. Yeah. Really good stuff. Uh, and it's so the most expressive you'll ever see Lockheed. Yeah. Uh, this, this thing hatches. It's got a little timer on its head and it says HBH on its chest, which I don't know what that is. Hod boiled Henry. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I probably should have gathered that. Because he does introduce himself as Hod Boiled Henry. Papua, I can't prepare to meet your doom. Can't <laughs> prepare do... to meet your doom. I can't do the baby talk. I have been chosen by the supremely brilliant, incredible, magnificent, invisible gatequasher. Gatequasher? Says Megan. Meanwhile. A strike a blow that will be, that will herald your defeat in one second. And yeah, there's a big timer on his head, and it's counting down to zero. And Nightcrawler notices at the last second. It says, "Rachel, Schnell, it's, it's a... a," and then it blows a bomb, and then it blows up. Boom! And the lighthouse is pretty wrecked. The top is gone. A bunch of windows blew out on the way down uh, the tower there. And meanwhile, the TechNet folks—they're hanging out on a cliff near the lighthouse. Gatecrasher's celebrating. Somebody points out that you weren't supposed to kill them, just capture them. And Gatecrasher's like, oh, rats. Well, so we better go in. Well, she also rationalizes, like, well, we're bounty hunters, dead or alive, Saturday night, she'll get it, she'll understand, but uh, yeah, let's go check it out. So they teleport in, they can't find Excalibur, they feel like they've been atomized until one of them notices that they are just standing on top of Excalibur. Right, they're in such a tiny compressed space that they don't realize that they're standing on Excalibur. So they teleport everybody out uh, back onto that cliff. Uh, body bag is secreting its thing on Rachel because that's how they transport their little victims. Kitty, and then, uh, yeah, and they Kitty, Kitty's the only one who was able to phase. It's too bad she wasn't able to phase somebody else. No, but she just bides. She's biding time until the rest of the team wakes up uh, and just fighting everybody off. Rachel, well, she does also say that Rachel was able to throw up a, a telekinetic shield. It wasn't quite fast enough, but enough to take the majority of the the, the brunt of force. Um, so yeah, she's she's doing some fighting there uh, until. We get Scatterbrain's powers, which Scatterbrain uh, apparently just touches you. Or no, she doesn't need physical contact. So she just has sort of an aura. Gets close. Proximity. Yeah. Yep. To fire every neural synapse and expand her consciousness through infinity. I don't really know what happens to Kitty, but she's out for the count. Yeah, she's passed out, I guess. But this she's- is tripping yeah this is enough time for brian to wake up and the rest of excalibur to start uh coming to their senses and yeah we get, we get kind of a fight a little demonstration of everybody's powers introduction of who everybody is pharaoh thug joy boy uh wax works who touches nightcrawler and turns him to sort of wax and he loses control of his limbs the china one, doll the one issue i have with all of these character names is they're all based on things in 
things on Earth, but these are international body uh, bounty hunters. So having a character named China Doll doesn't really make any sense to me. But what are you going to do? Maybe they have China Dolls in space. Because I can get around like Joy Boy and Waxwork because those could be like direct English translations of whatever their native language is. But China Doll, I guess that could be a translation too, but... I don't know. China is a proper noun that only exists in Earth. I guess as far as I know, there could be a China in space. I'm sure there are like, you know, there's probably one China doll merchant who made it off into space and sells his wares. Maybe he has a franchise. Sure. And then this person was like, China doll. Well, that's kind of like me. I'm going to call myself China doll. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. China doll shrinks people. There's a fun scene where... Gatecrasher grabs Brian and just like smashing him in the face with her fist just over and over and over and over again. Uh, then everything freezes. Uh, by what the happens? way, Exc- Excalibur is being defeated uh, more or less in, in yeah. these panels. I mean, they're they're holding their own, but they're not they're not doing great. And that's when a couple of people show up from an interdimensional portal. Uh, you got Horatio Cringebottom and Bert. Horatio Cringebottom from the Ministry for Cross-Time Transport Regulation Monitor and Control, Sanction Implementation Department, Operating Charter, authorized by Magistrix Opal Luna Saturnine, by decree of the Supreme Omniversal Guardian Roma, daughter of Merlin, sovereign of Otherworld. And this is Bert. Yo. Or no, he says hi-yo. hi So Saturnine is the daughter of Roma. Interesting. And Roma was the girl that gave the X-Men the Siege Perilous. No, Roma is the daughter of Merlin. Who I don't gave... think Saturnine is related to anybody. Well, it says uh, Opal Luna Saturnine by decree of the Supreme Omniversal Guard. Oh, 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 my bad. They're not related. Do we know that Roma was related to Merlin? I don't know. Is I'm... this the same Roma? I, I forgot. Well. <laughs> I mean, it... It's comics. There could be many Romas. I, I like to think that it's all connected and it's a single Roma. Uh, this is Merlin with a Y. I don't. I don't know this character. I'm sure it's an Excalibur ex, um, specific character. I know he's. He shows up in the or later issues of the, the in the 2020 issues that we covered okay. in the Patreon episodes. Well, anyways, uh, Bert is setting up a contraption here, and uh, should be noted, Bert's got a little headband that changes text with i guess what he's thinking so this first one is gub me quick which makes no sense but the other ones uh, that he will have on his forehead will make sense birds since he grabs a widget and his headband says gotcha mm-hmm. and he's a man of few words basically the these two are here to collect and figure out how to stop widget from doing the cross time traveling yep yep and tie back to the cross time caper yeah and they and we we saw and I feel like it was the a dude from the crazy gang that made Widget, not TechNet, but the crazy gang proper. I might have that wrong. I thought Widget just showed up no, in issue one, and he was like, no, hanging out. Widget was the character that won the Marvel comics. I think. No, I'm wrong about that. That's not true. Um, you remember the Create a Hero contest? I think it was somebody yes. else that won. That was the gold. That was the gold, yeah. yeah. So Widget shows up at the end of Excalibur Special Edition number one as kind of like an, like, he he doesn't do anything. It's just a portrait of Widget, sort of like, coming soon, Widget. Um, I feel like I got that confused because I thought that the contest, now this is going all the way back to like 1987, 1988, 
teased that that character, the the winner of that contest, was going to appear in the pages of Excalibur. But then I think they changed all of that, and then, then he showed up in X Factor. So I think that's why I got that confused. Anyways, it was a kind of a, a remember there was a, a Tweedledee and Tweedledum character. Yeah, that one, was a part of the crazy game. Yeah, one of those guys was like kind of sitting on a pile of garbage and just like smashing some things together. Didn't know what he had made and then just kind of walked off and then Widget appeared. Okay. So one of the Tweedledum D guys made Widget, and, and which tracks because as, as they're pulling him apart, they're finding keys and apple cores and sludge and um, rubber spiders and basically garbage from that garbage pile that that guy would have used to create widget that was in uh that was later issue four five six something like that yeah i uh there's a lot of words here um (laughs) the uh so the gist of it is that the i and i didn't i don't remember this but apparently they hooked met met up with saturnine and saturnine's people did something to widget to prevent him from doing his traveling ability but apparently it didn't work as the guy points out, the entity has continued to disrupt a continuum. And then we get a reference to Excalibur 30, 39, 37, and Quasar number 11. So, I mean, it, it's I don't think Alan Davis had anything to do with any of those issues. I think those were sort of loosely tied into the cross-time caper, though, which makes which sense. Started. Yeah. yeah. So my, my statement still stands. Anything that he directly was involved with or started. We know that he kind of left midway through the cross-time caper. Well, he definitely had nothing to do with Quasar. No, but I think that was still dealing with cross-time capery stuff. But in any event... He does refer to Phoenix as Lady Phoenix, and then which confuses Rachel. She's like, I Saturnine wanted me dead, and now I'm like royalty. This is very strange. And he says, well, you know... Uh, could, and then he comes over and says, hey, could you guys help us out? Uh, we took apart... Uh, widget in a horrifying scene in which widget has basically been completely uh taken apart mm-hmm. and that's when we get all of the little stuff that you were talking about mm-hmm. with the apple cores and the key and this rubber spider and whatnot uh bert's headband says hot babe when he talks to kitty it says oops when he took apart widget yeah and then uh um, excalibur immediately thinks that They've murdered Widget, but they're like, no, 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 we can put them back together. We just want to know what what you know about them because nothing inside of him makes any sense. So they're taking away his ability to travel through cross time. And they do that by inserting a device inside of him that will remain dormant unless he tries to do cross time traveling. And then I guess... They explain it in a way that's sort of fun with radio stations where you're trying to dial into a particular radio station and you need to find the wavelength. That's the same way that cross-time traveling works. It's neat. I don't understand it at all. I don't pretend to. But they put Widget back together and he looks a little he looks a little sick afterwards. He looks, he looks sad. Yeah. And Kitty's like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he, he doesn't look right. Kind of concerned with what you did. He, he doesn't look very happy. I'm like, ah, don't worry about it. It's fine. He'll be back to normal soon. Yeah. But we're gonna go before that. <laughs> uh, and then, then the cringe bottom guy gives Captain Britain a diamond and says, "All right, well." And he refers to him as Captain Britain six one six, which is a neat little touch, right? Because yeah. this is six one six universe. 
gives him the diamond and says, uh, presented to Gatecrasher when the stasis work uh, wears off. You have five minutes to prepare. They leave, and so now they're kind of stint, and they're like, well, what should we do? Should we get back into position? And Nightcrawler's like, no, I, I got an idea. So they rearrange everybody uh, into funny outcomes, and then the stasis Basically, wears so off. everybody's taking out somebody, except for Body Bag. Body Bag, well, Body Bag's the only one who isn't getting taken out, but everybody else takes somebody else on the TechNet right. team out. Right. And it's fun it's it's pretty fun right and they, they get a little chuckle out of it they're all laughing and gate crashers like what i don't know how you did that but now prepare for the things that are gonna happen nobody laughs at gate crasher and lives and then we get a pose of excalibur looking all tough and says go ahead give us a real laugh try take us while we're conscious captain Brit. Says uh, Rachel, who looks pretty menacing. She does. She looks great. Captain Britain presents the diamond over to Gatecrasher. As soon as Gatecrasher touches it, uh, Saturnine shows up, and she's like, all right, contract's terminated. Uh, you're banished to, to this uh, reality, or Earth-616. Um, so stop. You're not getting paid. There's no reason for you to continue, and you can't go home. So... The rest of the team is pretty angry at Gatecrasher, so she disappears, who knows to where, and then the team turns to Excalibur and says, hey, we don't have anywhere to go. Can we, like, stay with you if if you can we'll, – we'll fix the, the the lighthouse for you. Yep. Captain Britain Britain's hesitant. He's like, I don't know. Like, you've been sort of our enemies for a while. But Nightcrawler's like, this is exactly why we need to take them under our care. They're going to be banished here. They don't have anywhere to go, anything to do. Uh, we need to sort of protect them, supervise them, give them a safe place to be. Megan gives Nightcrawler a kiss on the cheek, saying, you always know how to get round Brian. And Nightcrawler says, Megan, you will give your boyfriend the wrong idea. And Megan says, don't be silly. Brian isn't the jealous type as she picks up Nightcrawler and flies off. And we get a very angry looking Brian. We do. And this might be the one sort of questionable head face. Yeah, it's not the best, but, you know. The the express, you, you, you un completely understand everything that's going on here. But I just feel like the face is too uh, deep or something. But it's just the hair. Again, it's <laughs> these criticisms are. It's got too much hair. Yeah. Meanwhile, on Erath. Yeah, I didn't know what any of this was. This is, I guess, a setup. Uh, there's some sort of uh, monk or something, and it gets killed by some guy named Kylon. Do we know this guy? So there was an issue where, you know, I don't think it was an Alan Davis issue, so this might be where I'm wrong, uh, but there was an issue where Megan fought, I thought, a guy that was like this. I don't know if you remember that issue, because that's a very no. vague description, but... Maybe not, because he does introduce himself as, I am Kylon, and there's no, like, as seen in or issue, whatever. Um, kind of reminds me of, um, uh, what what was uh, Robert Kirkman's battle cat, battle, battle beast, sort of. Okay. Remember battle that. beast from the pages of Invincible? According to the internet, if the internet is to be believed... I this believe everything that's Kylan's on the internet. first appearance. This is? Oh, wait. Let me see here. Uh, oh, no. No, no. His first appearance was Excalibur number two. Oh. So <laughs> this is his second appearance. So it must have been a thread that Alan Davis put together that 
never came to fruition and now he's he's going back to it. I don't know. I would have to go back to issue two to because I certainly don't remember this character. I'm taking a quick peek. So uh, basically this Kailun guy kills the druid monk guy and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, wow, that's amazing. We didn't know you could kill them. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, we'll I'll teach you to fight and uh, we'll we'll have freedom. And then Excalibur will pay for the devastation they unleashed on this world, which is a reference to something that I have no idea if it's referring to our Excalibur or another non-616 Excalibur or who knows. So uh, it looks like uh, I was a little wrong on the origins of Widget. I think he was... He was created by the Tweedledee, Tweedledum character. Looks like that was in issue one, because you do see him making a portal in issue two. The other thing I'm going to point out here is the artwork in this issue is really quite a a bit better than issue two. So he's grown as an artist. I mean, it's still good. Don't get me wrong. It's Alan Davis. But I'm looking for Kylon and... It could just be in the background. Who knows? A lot of war wolves. Excalibur number two, you said? That's what the internet says. Hmm. Okay. I wonder if one of these background characters gets retconned into Kylon, because I don't immediately see him in this issue. A lot of war wolves wearing Excalibur and other human costumes, but uh, I don't know. I Yeah, man. There's a boy, <laughs> maybe this boy, uh, it looks like to be a boy that gets uh, teleported through Widget, that like all of these um, green military uniform wearing people are running after, and then Widget makes a portal, and this kid says, oh gosh, oh golly, oh wow, and he disappears, and he does have, uh, so he's got... Uh, like a like a orange curly hair and his eyes are definitely drawn with like those cat like pupils so i'm going to guess that this kid is kylon so what's weird is if you go to the uh page of excalibur 2 that has from the same site where it says that kylon's first appearance is excalibur 2 it does not mention him yeah i feel like we're going to see so we'll see well, if you, I don't know if you care to or want to open up Excalibur number two, but this kid all throughout all of his panels, and I don't know, I never would have noticed this in the initial reading, has cat-like eyes, uh, mm-hmm. has has a massive, um, again, orange curly hair in a massive widow's peak, um, and two, three, two, three full pages are dedicated to this guy and i don't remember this thread ever being picked up again so i'm gonna guess right cross time portal right this kid sent to the future sent to the parallel dimension whatever grows up into a a crazy fighter probably a mutant maybe right because of thundercat it looks like a thundercat right exactly mutates into a thundercat um so i'm gonna guess that in an upcoming issue of Excalibur, we're going to see sort of a flashback to this kid going through the portal and kind of an origin of like how he was raised and now he's Kylon. That's going to be my guess. Okay. You heard it here, folks. I'm glad I was able to put that together. On Jeremy's <laughs> Guesses, the podcast. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, got to keep, keep, you know, keep yourself entertained somehow. Got to keep the flavor flowing. Uh, X-Force number three is uh, an issue by Rob Liefeld. 
there's nothing really happens in this issue. Although at the in the last couple of pages, something does happen. So I feel like, you know, Rob Liefeld, Fabian Nicieza, they were doing their thing. And then Todd McFarlane comes into the office and he's like, hey, hey, Rob, let's do a crossover. And uh, Rob's like, yeah, oh, here's, where, here's where I am in the X Factor. This is, my, this is what we're doing. And then Todd's like, well, I'll be ready next month. And Rob's like, what? No, well, this wait, month. What? <laughs> <laughs> just redraw the last three pages quick, and we'll totally just make it make sense. So, I remember. Um, hmm, how do I put this? I remember liking this cover, but obviously having some problems with Spider Man <laughs> on the cover because you know his his butt is just insane. Rob's, if I can call him Rob, mm-hmm. uh, Spider Man in this issue is consistently terrible. Yeah, and it starts on the cover, and it continues to where spider-man shows up at the end of the issue um i this this whole thing makes no sense there's like a apparently we where we left off the uh, well hang on i just want to i just want to talk okay. real briefly about the like i like i liked i think you could draw a lot of problems with the cover n- nowadays but when i was younger and i had purchased this issue i really liked the portrait of juggernaut no not so much <laughs> a lot of perspective issues his arm is kind of growing out of his helmet, um, and the Spider-Man kind of ruins everything. The other thing I'll point out is uh, in the issue, like Cable just has like some new cyber costume for some reason. Makes no sense. Yeah, and it's terrible. It is awful. I mean, it's just it's just silver, so basically it's drawn in mostly blue and white. It doesn't seem to add anything to him. But I guess Liefeld's probably just trying something new. Like, oh, this is yeah, awesome. which is fine. You know, it's like you know. Cool. Good on him for trying something new. I hope this never comes back. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the majority of his, the majority anyways, of his siren uh, drawings are pretty good. Yeah, I'll give you that. S- siren shows up at the beginning of this issue. The The thing that doesn't make any sense to me is that last issue we left off and uh, Black Tom Cassidy and Juggernaut have taken this building hostage. Mm-hmm. And apparently a few days has passed. Yeah. And... That's just weird. It's like so, and they they explain it away by a couple ways. One, Teresa Cassidy, uh, Siren says something. She alludes to the uh, police and the Avengers having been told to wait. And I don't know if she's alluding to like she's that came in and she was like, "Well, you got to wait on this one for some reason." But then later, uh, uh, Rodrigo's friend with the ponytail mm-hmm. uh, says something Gideon. about. Yeah, Gideon says something about how it's no wonder the police or the Avengers haven't come in. It's because we're so rich and powerful, which makes no sense at all. <laughs> right. It's just like they would actually move faster because of that. Well, uh, Cable even says something of like the wealth in that building is half the US GNP. So we can't just go in and risk anything. Uh, and, and this exact reason that they would have started, you know, doing some action if not necessarily going in there, there would be like a team surrounding the building or something we don't see any of that yeah um six pages are dedicated to Teresa cassidy siren uh she's basically like i gotta get my uncle and that that clown juggernaut uh she gets rebuffed and then she uh happens to come across um x-force's new ship and then yeah. they reference all the issues where they bumped into each other yeah yeah so they know each other 
uh, all the things about why we can't just barge in GNPs, rich people, blah, blah, blah. Then we get, and then they just barge in. Well, then we get opposed by the entire team as Cable's like, hey, Siren, you want to join our team? She's like, sure, I got nothing else to do. (laughs) Which is cool. You know, it's good that they're still forming X-Force and I hope she sticks around. Yeah. But uh, basically, like, they knock Juggernaut off, the Warpath knocks Juggernaut off the roof, making it super easy for X-Force to get in. They take out all the roof guards and then they face absolutely no conflict (laughs) to get to Black Tom. I got a, I just got a, on page uh, page twelve. You get sort of the sideways full page spread, or maybe it's just a two page spread. Um, but you get the giant panel of Cable and Domino and Feral, Cannonball and uh, Shatterstar. Is that his name? Um, and it's just terrible. <laughs> like I know it looks like he definitely started with Cable. It's like, oh, it's awesome. He's going to jump in. He's falling. He's got his guns. His eyes twinkling. And he's got his new costume. It's so awesome. I'm going to have Shatterstar. He's jumping kind of in a crouched pose. It's, it's just it's just really bad. You just don't know where anybody's coming from and where they're going. And it's basically just portraits kind of just like stamped on top of each other. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of pouches. The, 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 when Cable finally confronts Black Tom, everybody but Shatterstar is missing, I guess, because they're not ready to do the reunion between Sam and Robbie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, they don't and even then, really explain where Cannonball goes, do, do they? He, last we saw him, he's on the roof fighting one of the roof guards, and then we just never see him again. Yeah. Black Tom shoots Gideon. So maybe he's still on the roof. <laughs> in the face. But I thought we had established somewhere along the line that Gideon's got powers, doesn't he? Or strength or something, right? He attacks Black Tom, but then gets easily batted away. So I don't know. He's a he's like a mutant or a weapon X or He doesn't he doesn't really do anything. He doesn't, no. And then Sunspot leaps into action and he's like, Oh, I know you. You you worked you were an Xavier student. And then he gets taken out. And then Black Tom reveals that he has explosives explosives rigged to the building, which feels like a thing that he would have said right away, which would have explained why all the police and the Avengers were keeping away. Right. But now he's just keep, he's just revealing it now. And a super easy way to do that is instead of doing seven pages of Siren kind of hooking up with Excalibur or, or uh, X-Force, which is fine. You can do multiple pages on it. It's fine. But just kind of have like a recap, a, a newscast. This is Trish Tilby on the scene of the uh, World Trade Center. Black Tom Cassidy and Juggernaut are back and the building is rigged with hundreds of thousands of pounds of plastic, keeping the Avengers and the police at bay. X-Force is standing by. Boom. <laughs> Everything's explained. Three-day standoff. Plastic. But the thing plastic. is that it, they like no heroes or police are around. That's I know. the extent of their... <laughs> just saying. Like, it just it, it makes no sense whatsoever. You just need... Uh, you could do everything I just said in a full-page spread, because I know he likes them, or four panels, and then you never have to show the ground and the police standing at bay ever again. You've just... It's like a movie. You've done an establishing well, shot. You never have to show it again. Warpath and Juggernaut are now fighting on the street. So you do well. have to show the street. <laughs> okay, that's fair. So, and, and at that point, you would think that all of the police or the Avengers who were hanging around would be would like help out. But Sp- Spider-Man shows up and he has no idea about this. Apparently, he hasn't been watching the news. He's just like, oh, oh Juggernaut's in town. Jeez, had no idea. Guess I should join. And then the building blows up and he's like, uh-oh. Fabian Nicesia cannot write Spider-Man either. 
Yeah, it takes. It probably takes time to he, write Spider-Man. He's trying to do quippy, funny Spider-Man, and he's just using words like rutabaga and buckaroo and jamuchi. That's. I think it's jamoke. Uh, no, I can't. It's. I, I, I know it's. It's spelled jamoki, but I think it's jamoke. Nope. No, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I mean, maybe it is Adam, but if you're going to put an I E at the end of the word, it's not jamoke. It's jamochi. I don't. I don't know why. Why it's spelled jamoki, but. The only thing that makes sense to me is that Jamoke. I think it's Fabian Nicesia putting a funny spin on Spider-Man and inventing a stupid word. The really big Jamoki I'm all too familiar with. The less really big Jamoki. Let's just say Jamoke. I'm going to say it's Jamochi, by the way, because it's a C-H. I feel like Jamoke. How do you spell Jamoke? Is that with a C-H-E and no I? I have no idea. Let's find out. Or is it? With like a CK? I don't know how to spell Jamoke. Uh, having never used Jamoke in any sort of a conversation, um, I don't know. But uh, Miriam Webster on the internet says J-A-M-O-K-E. Okay. okay. Uh, and then, oh, hang on. There's an urban dictionary. Well, that's probably frightening. Um, <laughs> old-fashioned slang coffee sense what i don't know what that means thank you marco the chief said when he when they had reached his floor will you come up for a cup of jamoke oh well that's coffee (laughs) uh slang an ordinary unimpressive or inept person typically used as a term of mild joking disparagement for a man look at that dumb jamoke that crazy jamoke if my brother and i proved one thing it's that just about any jamoke can host a radio show so that's the context I've heard it in. Uh, Jamoke, J-A-M-O-C-H. Oh, gosh, this is terrible. Re- referring or pertaining to a black individual living in the Tritown community. So I don't think that's what Spider-Man's going for. No, I don't uh, think so And either. I don't, let's just, I'm just going to type it in. Jamoke, G. And the internet comes up with nothing. Though Jamoke okay. is a completely made up word. All right. Um, <laughs> he also now, Adam, refers to Warpath as the stupidest rutabaga yeah. ever put on this wonderful little planet. You are probably correct in assuming that Fabian Nesthesia was going for Jamoke, but had no idea how to spell it. Or was putting a spin on it of Jamoke. I, I think you're right. He was putting a spin on Jamoke and making it Jamoke, which should be not... K-I-E in my opinion, but yeah, whatever. doesn't matter. It's not a real word. Uh, Regardless, we both agree that it's super stupid. (laughs) The building explodes and we're continued in Spider-Man number 16. Adam, I have a question. Is Spider-Man number 16 the sideways issue? Yes. Spider-Man number 16 and X-Force number four are both sideways. Interesting. So Todd McFarlane left Marvel a lot earlier than the rest of the folks. Yes. Okay. I mean, he's not even doing Spider-Man this month as we'll we'll briefly cover. (laughs) Right. So anyways, uh, X-Force, uh, I think I gave it a little bit of praise last, last time around, but this this one was... Uh... This one felt like a filler issue. It was yeah. like, let's kill time until we can do the cool crossover, the cool sideways crossover. Yeah, maybe that's what it is, which is basically what Spider-Man more or less feels with, or feels like, although, well, maybe we should just do Spider-Man 15 Let's now. do Spider-Man. Spider-Man number 15 is a fill-in issue of Spider-Man featuring Beast and Eric Larson doing the art. The art's great. Uh, if you if you like Eric Larson, uh, that, the opening picture of Spider Man is is solid. I feel, and I've said this before, my immature art critique 
was non-favorable towards Eric Larson. He was like my Klaus Janssen and some of those other folks who have their own uh, deliberate style. Uh, and I have come around a little bit on Eric Larson. I don't feel like, I feel like he's getting there. I don't feel like this is, I don't feel like this is great. The opening Spider-Man's full page spread is pretty good, although his thighs kind of look weird. I just like the lighting. The lighting is good. But is that is that an Eric Larson thing, or is that going to be a Gregory Wright thing? I got to imagine when you're doing something like this, it's probably starts with Eric Larson and ends with the colorist, right. who is Gregory Wright. I can't imagine that, like, Eric Larson just just color this however you want. <laughs> he was probably like, this is a moody shot. I, sure. I made sure to put all the shading here. I want the light coming up. So, like, you know, I feel like it's a collaboration between the two. And it, it, it's a great collaboration. It's a... And well, and it's definitely in the style of Todd McFarlane, right? So you've got all these dynamic poses. And for example, this one I'm just noticing is basically Spider-Man's upside down and we're, we're looking up at the moon and we're looking up at like the building tops. Uh, so, so keeping that level of uh, panel layout and then the moody colorness, uh, colorness, the moody color, as you mentioned, uh, for sure. So I don't know if that's a collaboration or if they're both like, hey, color it like you'd color Todd McFarlane. I don't know. Either way, I feel like Todd McFarlane wouldn't do something like I. I mean, Todd McFarlane does a lot of great stuff, but I feel like he wouldn't do this particular shot. Uh, Maybe not, just because I. I don't think he's ever done any lighting like this. Mm, but that's a good point. No, I think you're right. I. I. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm sure eventually he's he more of a would do everything, but he's more of a heavy shadows guy. But it works really well because if you can imagine kind of what's on the ground, it's probably it's nighttime, right? So a bunch of headlights and street lamps and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So it makes sense that this light would be casted upwards onto Spider-Man uh, versus uh, another direction. But I also the other problem I kind of have with this issue is the just bizarrely crazy over sexualization of Mary Jane. <laughs> I mean, it huh. is from from her first here are my boobs panel to her final. I'm in a teddy and kind of sad pose at the end. I'm like, the teddy Whoa. was definitely a little weird. <laughs> but I feel like that's also a continuation from Todd McFarlane's version of MJ. I recall even reading this when I was a young kid being like, wow, this is because you're right. Todd McFarlane draws a sexy Mary Jane Watson, but I don't think he's ever drawn her in like sexy negligee. <laughs> Uh, as uh, during I, I would the, have to say that he probably has. I'm sure he has, but I don't feel like we've seen it in the pages of Spider-Man proper. But it's also sort of um, uh, a bit tasteless because they're kind of ending on kind of a down note. And she's just like, ooh, I'm ready for sexy time, but I'm sad. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess the implication is that this is just what she wears all the time. Which doesn't make any sense. Because... Which I guess if you're a high-priced fashion model no. who's in the movies maybe no. you do i don't know i don't i think you I, you throw I on an oversized t-shirt if, if you're a realistic woman you obviously don't do this right but if maybe maybe you do if you're a, a fashion model and you just feel like it's easier just to look good all the time <laughs> i i doubt that but maybe anyways the crux of this issue is uh peter would like to have a child and mary jane is like well you know, acting career's taken off. I'm not opposed to a child, but, uh, you know, you're radioactive spider, high chance of mutation. And uh, Spider-Man's like, well, I'm going to go talk to Beast because he's in town giving a lecture. And he's he's a guy that knows about genetics. 
So he takes off. There's a there's a consideration. I guess they think that there's a high probability that they would have a mutant child. Yes. And uh, MJ outright says that scares me. Yeah. Which is valid. Yep. So um, as much as I've just criticized all the wor- artwork and, and we recognize that this is a filler issue, I feel like Eric Larson's like, okay, I got an opportunity. I'm not going to do just some dumb battle. Uh, I, I want to have a point. I want to have yeah. a story. I want to I want to have a message. Uh, so the writing in here is actually, I think it's pretty good. Like the whole yeah. story concept and, and what it does. Did he also do the writing? I think, I yeah, guess, yeah. I guess he must have, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he 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 flies off. And, and meanwhile, we're at a hospital and uh, a mutant erupts. <laughs> a very large yeah. mutant. Yeah. Uh, but they're we talking don't... earlier. They're like, oh, he's so cute. Just sleep in there. He's definitely got his charm. And, oh, my gosh, what's happening? And then he's giant. So we don't know what they're looking at, but we do yeah. see two giant fists basically smash this doctor and nurse potentially killing them we don't know possibly they, they don't they don't look happy I and mean, then we hear a crack and a swack and there's there's blood coming out of their mouths so a crack feels like a death sound a yeah. swack doesn't necessarily feel like a death sound so i think the nurse is okay the doctor is debatable yeah the doctor it could just be a cracked jaw let's yeah let's assume he's alive yeah i don't know <laughs> based on what but this character's gonna do uh, basically the character doesn't know his own strength or its own strength. Spider-Man yeah. shows up at this lecture and it turns out there's a mutant battle in place. Um, Hightower or Tower, whatever her name is. So there's Master Blaster, who is not a mutant, is there, who is trying to uh, kill all the mutants or stop mutants from taking over the world. And then the mutant is... Hightower, you said her name was? I thought it was it was Tower or Hightower. We've seen her in the pages of X-Factor. Yeah. She's there and she's wants like mutant supremacy. Let's take over the world. We're more powerful. And Beast is kind of caught in the middle trying to bring peace back to, to this lecture. Spider-Man jumps in. They do some fighting and, uh, you know, they're talking back and forth. And Spider-Man's got a lot to think about here, right? Powerhouse. Powerhouse. That's who she is. Tower was a blonde guy who got big. Yes. I can't, Powerhouse pow- was on the same team, right? Yeah. They were on the Alliance of Evil. Yeah. Yeah. So. Or something. Last scene in that X-Force cro- annuals crossover thing. Right. So the... The the Beast here is well-written except when he's not. It's weird. It's like sometimes he sounds like Beast and then other times he's like, you're mine, woman. Mm. And the, Which every, isn't the thing Beast would really say. Yeah. And he's also like really non-effective. He j- like... He constantly is attacking people and getting knocked away. Yeah. But they kind of, I don't know, the bad guys get away or get zapped or whatever. But Spider-Man and Beast head off to a rooftop to talk about mutants. And the prospect of Spider-Man and his wife and Beast is even like, I didn't know you were married. It's kind of a neat little touch. Spider-Man's like, yeah, we want to have a baby, but, you know, we're kind of worried about, you know, my genetics and mutations. What do you think? And Beast's like, well, there's a really good reality that your baby's going to be a mutant, a really good possibility that your wife might die during the pregnancy, and a very slim chance that your baby might be normal. So, you know, taking that all into consideration. And then Spider-Man says, gee, well, you don't have to restrain yourself. You can give it to me straight, which is like... He's telling you what you asked him to say. You don't have to well, crack I a think joke he, about it. Yeah, and he's he's doing his Spider-Man jokey yeah, thing. Yeah, that's fine. Cutting that's the fine. tension, I guess, right? 
Uh, and then, so they, they swing back into action uh, because a truck just went flying. And uh, they, they encounter this giant creature who I guess they deduce is a mutant. Maybe they deduce that later on. They fight it for a while, and uh, they, they... Again, Beast is completely ineffective, just hurling himself at the the being and getting thrown away. There's a point in the issue where the big monster mutant creature is now drowning Spider-Man. Spider-Man's like, I can't move. Beast can't do anything. I'm going to die here. I really wish I could have said goodbye to Mary Jane. Is this my life? He's really reevaluating, like, what would Peter Parker be as a father when he finds himself in sort of this regular situation of, like, I might die tonight. Yeah. And then uh, a couple people show up and, like, Joey, is that you? And the big monster reverts to a baby, or a toddler, anyways. Toddler. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm so worried about you. And, uh, apparently, the mother of this baby died in childbirth. And uh, well, Who's the woman that's there, then? I don't know. Your mama told me that she took you up top to the hospital because we didn't... Oh, maybe that is the mom. I thought the mom died in childbirth, but that must be the mother okay. behind him. Okay. I was so yeah, I worried... Th- I thought it was the mom, but yeah, it's hard she does look like a man sometimes. Well, and she's also just kind of standing behind him, not not do, like he's like holding the baby. I guess the the implication is that the mom kind of feels like they can't handle the child, so she's trying to find a better place outside of. I don't know if these people live in the sewers or they're just in the sewers because they know their child is there. I think they live in the sewers. So these are Morlocks or just humans? I think they're just like poor people that happened to maybe they're morlocks maybe i don't know it doesn't really say well anyway the mom wants to get rid of the child not because she doesn't want the child but because she wants him to better have a better life right but the father wants to keep the child no matter what in his life so they're kind of at odds with each other and b steps in and is like there's there's this place called the nursery which i thought was a mr sinister thing well they maybe it's been repurposed yeah let's assume it's been repurposed its purpose is to deal with problem children such as yours, to prevent them from becoming menacing people. You can live your lives running and hiding below the streets if you want to, but it's not only inhuman, it's sadistic to condemn your child to such a fate. I'm afraid I have to insist. And the dad's like, well, can I still see my kid? And Beast is like, well, yeah, of course. Right. It's it's not it's not a Mr. Sinister organization. <laughs> and so Beast is like, oh, by the way, Spider-Man, that's the upside of being a parent that I forgot to mention. You'll love your child no matter what, mutant or no. He's still a part of you. Spider-Man heads home and Mary Jane, again, in her ridiculous teddy, uh, <laughs> who's just kind of like standing there like with a very upset look on her face. And you're like, you don't get ready for sexy time. I don't know. It's just like, this is bathrobe and a cup of coffee or My impression giant is this is just but... how MJ dresses at this point in her career. Oh my God, <laughs> I guess. But Spider-Man shows up and she's like, you know what? I don't want to right now. Maybe it's selfish, but I want to do this when the time is right. And Spider-Man's like, yeah, I get it. It's cool. But she's when like, we're ready, we'll be the best darn parents ever. And then yeah. they kiss. And then they kiss. And then we get Todd returns and exits. With the big X-Force crossover. So next issue is the X-Force crossover we alluded to, and also Todd's last issue. Yeah. Also, uh, the body on MJ in this first panel of her in the teddy there, her upper body is just way too big for her lower half. It's very (laughs) oddly proportioned. Well, that's comics for you. Well, I don't even mean that. I just mean like the shoulders are like far broader. Hips are super narrow. It's it's just weird 
I know what he was going for. He's going for pinup cheesecake, super sexy, but I I think he was going for I don't think he was going for cheesecake. It's just the outfit is cheesecakey. I think he was going for human, but also dressed in a I don't know. He probably should have put her in a robe or something. <laughs> yeah. Even a t-shirt, like a, a girl standing in a t-shirt can be sexy, uh, but, but also be practical. She, I don't think he's going for sexy at all because <laughs> I, like the look on her face no. is like the opposite of sexy. It's that's why I that's it's why it's this panel's always stuck out to me because her face is just so like I'm I'm in agony. I'm in pain. I'm about to deliver the news that my husband that I love dearly doesn't want to hear. Uh, and my bottom half says I'm ready to have a party with you it just it's it's, it's, it's a weird it's a, dichotomy it's a choice well it's a choice that's for sure um anyways we can stop fixating on that and talk about wolverine number 47 this also feels like a filler issue uh it's okay prior, but i had one question because the art is not sylvestri right it's not sylvestri and green it's some other guy um it's not bad it's okay the, the first page makes it look like it's gonna be bad but then the second page, it's kind of, oh, okay, it's all right. It, or maybe I just adjusted to it very quickly. No, the artwork's, it's got a... Sometimes a, it is bad. I don't know. It, it it waxes and wanes. I don't know. It has, to me, I think it's a lot to do with the coloring because there's no shading in any of the coloring. So it has kind of like a, uh, like a how do I put this, like a Garfield or a Charlie Brown colorized feel to it sometimes yeah sometimes when the lines are like super thick um especially with the kid um but yeah. the, the drawings of wolverine don't necessarily come across like that they to me they do just because do. everything's there's there's inking uh but that's the only level of uh kind of like dy dynamics within the artwork otherwise almost everything except for i guess a couple of the white uh, shirts are just a solid color. The blue and greens are solid blue. The skin is solid skin color. The hair is solid hair color, right? There's no um, gradients or anything like that. Not that that's a bad thing, right? That because they're. I, I also sort of agree that this kind of feels like, um, like a like pop art type style. Yeah. Um. So I don't. I, I'm not saying it's bad, but uh, it, it's different. Um. But basically, or actually, the question I had is the only thing in this issue that really matters uh, from just kind of a Wolverine narrative is we see a little bit of Silver Fox. And did we see her in the original Wolverine four-part series? Is that where we first saw Silver Fox? No, we first see Silver Fox in that Chris Claremont flashback issue, which I believe is issue nine. Okay. Where we it is revealed that Sabretooth killed silver fox on uh wolverine's birthday yeah uh, i mean larry larry hama's still at the reins here so get used to it there's going to be a lot of silver fox in the in the coming issues which is fine, I don't know, fine which is it. you know it's a, it's one of the loves of wolverine's life so we get to learn more about her as it goes uh this issue is just kind of a morality thing so it's all right well um, there's a couple of things that you do learn here right so there's at the beginning, Wolverine's motorcycle has been locked up in front of the World Trade Center for like two weeks. And this cop's like, I'll ran your plates and I got all these government red flags and hands off and FBI and CIA. You're really important, which is an interesting sort of character development that I don't think we really had before this. 
well, you know, I mean, we already know he has connections with S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. So I, he's probably a person of interest more so than being important. Well, I don't know. Because it's not like anybody's looking for him. It's just like I ran your name and uh, or you ran your plates or whatever and you you've pulled all these flags. Yeah. So uh, that's an that interesting. Sense. I mean, he's a dangerous guy. Yeah, I feel like it's I more. I also like the idea, the idea that Wolverine, when he parks his bike, He's in so many issues of so many comics. He, who knows when he's going to get back to it? Right. Who knows so how many like motorcycles? Later. <laughs> how many? Who knows how many motorcycles he has scattered across the United exactly. States? Exactly. Just tied up. Like, ooh, well, I'm in Montana. Let me go get my motorcycle. <laughs> um. Yeah. And then there's this kind of over the top kid who's a drug addict, and I feel like he kills his mom. He definitely kills a shopkeeper. He, he puts his mom in the hospital because he says yeah, later she's in, the, she's in in the hospital or something. Intensive but he does care. kill the shop owner. He does kill the uh, girl that... The clerk that clerk, works there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he is a one-note character. There's not an ounce of sympathy or... Uh, he's not a credible character in my opinion, but... So the, the, the idea of the comic book that he is the dog that needs to be put down and then we get right. the kind of the visual representation of this when there is a dog that needs to put get put down uh this cop lady wolverine sees her shoot the dog four bullets it seems like overkill which he says doesn't that seem like seems excessive, excessive. Force? Yeah. and she's like i got two little kids at home i you think this is easy i, I couldn't do this to my own dog like you you gotta do what you gotta do you got a and dog I don't like mister. it but you know it's it's Wolverine's like, I had a dog once. Right. We get a bit of a flashback later on in the issue where uh, this dog has been gone for a while. And Silver Fox is like, you know what? Dog's got to go off. Be wild every now and again. But he'll be back. And then he does show Which up. Which is completely not true. But I suppose it's true if you're living in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Let's just assume that this is a wolf dog. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, uh, he's got hydrophobia, which we don't know what that is, but he's rabid. He's got rabies or something. And so he's, yeah. he's rabid. And so Silver Fox is like, put him down. Here's the gun. Put him down. And uh, we learn. Well, we cut back to the, the kid uh, who is a bad egg, who's the dog that needs to be put down, who almost runs over the cops, kids and dog. Yep. Uh, we think she actually kills the son. Right. He actually kills the son and he pulls up next to Wolverine and he starts freaking out because Wolverine's not even doing anything. Right. Which is a kind of neat moment where he's just like, what's up with this guy? Is he a cop? He's got the look. I don't like him. Is he checking me out? Does he know? Why doesn't the light change? I, I like the, the sort of freak out moment. Yeah, yeah. He's got sweating and stuff. I don't know why Wolverine decides to cut him off, though. Well, because he, he attacks Wolverine. He tries to run him down. Mm, Wolverine looks like he kind of gets in the kid's way. And maybe he's just cutting around him. But on the other hand, Wolverine pulls forward, kind of looks back and does see handlebars on the front of the car. So he's like, oh, my gosh, he's the handlebars. He knows. Well, that's just too bad. And I think the other parallel that we kind of glossed over is the mom pulls out this giant Magnum 357 and says, I bought this just in case you ever came back. You killed your father by giving him a heart attack. So you got to go or I'm going to shoot you. And ultimately, she can't shoot him. And he beats the crap out of her and sends her to the intensive care unit. Yeah, so now he has the big gun. Yep, and so he's shooting everybody and being that a big man. That he killed two people already with. And uh, so he hits Wolverine's motorcycle with his car and tries to run Wolverine over. And then Wolverine starts attacking him. And it, I feel like Wolverine wants to talk him down. But at this point, like, there's nothing to talk down. Wolverine, I don't think, knows 
the full scope of what's happening. All he knows is that there's handlebars on the front of the car and a kid may or may not have been run down, which is pretty serious, but you know, there's no blood on the front. So there's, you know, he, he's, I'll be honest. It looks like he is trying to deescalate the situation. Um, but eventually he does pull his claws, uh, in a threatening manner, but then the police show up. the, The kid does say, I, I'm out of bullets. I used two for Singh, one for Tiffany, three, which he just shot Logan with. Right. And so Wolverine goes to threaten him. He's still thinking about putting down his dog in the middle of this. Right. Uh, and he po- pops his claws in, and that's when the cop shows up and shoots this guy five times in the chest. She's like, his gun was empty. And she's like, well, I didn't know that. He was pointing, he was pointing it right at you. I made the right decision. Wolverine also pulls his claws back, and he's kind of remembering, because the dog is getting closer and closer to Wolverine. Silver Fox is like, you've got to put him out of this pain. And he kind of puts his hand up against his head, pulls his claws back, sort of again being like, I can't I can't just kill this person right? or this dog in the case. Because we do learn at the end of the issue, he's like, yeah, lady, I had a dog. I couldn't kill him. My lady yeah. had to. So Silver Fox had to take the rifle and kill the dog, which is, you know, it's it's... It's it's a good story. It's a good Wolverine story. It's just like Wolverine doesn't like killing things or people. Right. He'll do he it if he does has it when to. He has to. Right. Uh, the miss the the black and white panel of Wolverine is that for effect or just a coloring issue? There's a black and white panel of Wolverine. Yeah. Where's uh, that? On page uh, twenty. Oh. Yeah. The gun was empty. I don't know. Maybe it's for effect. I feel like somebody missed coloring him. <laughs> Yeah, he's dead. Uh, and then we get that, that reveal that he couldn't kill his dog and Silver Fox had to do it for him. But, but yes, I mean, it was just a uh, a good issue. Uh, and, uh, you know, we we did talk about the art earlier. And I feel like this is a me thing, but the, the, the cleanness of the artwork, right? There's very little like rough patches, hash marks or anything. It's very clean outlines and drawings um, lends itself to that story. Whereas in the hands of somebody else, like maybe, maybe a lesser artist who's kind of like more sketchier. I probably wouldn't have been able to finish the issue. I don't mm. know if that makes any sense, but that that's just my impression from reading this issue. We've read some, remember that Dr. Doom Excalibur story? Yeah. I couldn't read it. Right. Cause the art was <laughs> just terrible. It was a neat concept, but I just couldn't read it because the art was so terrible mm. uh, that if you put this guy, whoever he is, maybe we should, shout him out here it was uh gerald de you give him that excalibur book and you give him sort of that same art style that he had in this issue i, I probably can get through it hmm. uh, so that's it's always been a thing of mine like if the art's terrible like i'm just not or in my impression terrible because well, i mean the subjective. art is half of the issue so yeah if, if you struggle with the art then yeah it makes sense that you struggle with getting through the issue right and you can say a lot more with a picture than you can words. So when you can kind of see what's going on and everything's very clear, um, the story could be terrible. But if, if the artwork's kind of interesting or leads you on a path, you've got that to to, to, to rely on. I, I don't think I can say the same thing about words alone. But yeah. that may not be a thing that all people agree with. Anyways, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. number 28. Speaking of terrible artwork. Wow. Yeah. This one's not very good. Um and it's not just the this one. The story is also not very good. And it, it's it's maybe whatever's going on in Nick Fury is fine, but in this issue, Wolverine agrees to like basically murder a giant bear 
with Nick Fury so that they can sneak up on people while he, while Wolverine himself goes into underwater uh, in the middle of, they're in the Arctic. So that's a giant polar bear with a little fishing ice hole. So Nick Fury kills the giant polar bear, skins it and wears it in order to sneak into an enemy camp. Meanwhile, Wolverine has gone into the fishing hole of the polar bear under the ice and is now swimming in freezing cold water to sneak up on them. And I feel like Wolverine just would be like, we don't need to kill the polar bear. Right. Why don't I just do the ice thing? Which the whole ice thing is stupid anyway. Well, because we know Wolverine can, excuse me, can drown. Right. Um, also, it's got to be really uncomfortable under there. Cold. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Wolverine's just like, oh, yeah. One on top, one on the bottom. Huh? That's a great idea. My, uh, no. my favorite panel is when Wolverine erupts from the ice and, and cuts off the legs of one of the bad guys. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. fun. That's kind of cool. But yeah, uh, Nick Fury kind of running around with his bear skin. It's obviously we're going for some type of espionage, secret spy thing, but ah, jeez. Well, you end with that like last page where Nick Fury is like somehow flying through the air <laughs> with a big thing on him. And, you know, they're just trying to do like this kind of like, oh, this is so badass sort of thing. And yeah, he's easily 15 feet in the air. You know, his yeah. legs are pushed behind him. He's firing his machine gun. The bear skin is flapping in the wind as he's taking out all these bad guys. And I don't know, maybe in the hands of a more dynamic artist. maybe well, This is Jackson Juice. I know. That's that's the <laughs> weird thing. And maybe, you know, because I, I like Jackson Juice. He's got a kind of... um non-traditional style i but now i'm kind of thinking like maybe he's made better by an inker because the ink ah, inks in this are not great maybe maybe he's just hitting those deadlines barely or something i don't know maybe because he's doing deathlock at the same time here so maybe his focus okay. is deathlock and this is like yeah fine i'll do agents of shield Anchor comes in. He's like, I t I'm not very good at what I do, and I can't do much with this. <laughs> yeah, because uh, it's it's very sketchy. Like, and I don't mean like, I mean like it's a it's very sketch ish. It's not good. I was hoping because like I like Nick Fury and Wolverine hanging out together, but this was just not a good. No, this was not a good Wolverine, really. No, and maybe the Nick Fury is fine, but. Nick Fury is in this issue is doing a lot of like, I'm, I've got a mission. I'm doing this and I'm not going to tell anybody what I'm doing. And Wolverine keeps calling him on it. Right. He starts off like effectively dead and in a baddie body bag and gets up. Yeah, Because in the last issue, Nick Fury, the whole thing is just doesn't make any sense. The plan was that Wolverine would sneak onto the base and then no, Nick Fury would shoot him in public. Right. And then they would put him on the plane somehow and then steal the plane these plans are just ridiculous. It's like, why is everybody agreeing to do these dumb Nick Fury plans it, that are way too elaborate? It's an, I mean, look, from a, I don't know, from a story standpoint, from a plot contrivance standpoint, the idea of, again, maybe in a, a more capable hand it had been better, but the idea of like publicly killing Wolverine, quote unquote, put, wrapping up him up in a body bag so that you can kind of use him as an element of surprise this isn't a bad idea. Yeah, okay. And I do actually like that. I like the execution of Wolverine was not in on this plan. And so like when he kind of revives himself and he confronts Nick Fury, he's like, what the hell, man? And punches him in the <laughs> face. I like that interaction. But but you're right. The rest of it, it's just not, you know, it's very, 
hazy as to why they're putting all of this together and it doesn't well being shot at the end of an issue makes for a good cliffhanger it does and it could make for a good plan but yeah it's it's just not and then and then the whole plan to steal the blackbird is just so that nick fury can drive it into another ship yeah another big airplane it's like why do they need the blackbird for that I don't know. I feel we like get, you could do that with anything. We get a reference where Wolverine's like, "Yeah, the X Men had one of these." Yeah, I think Wolverine's like, "I know how to fly one of these" or something. But he's like, "Yeah, yeah, the X Men have one of these." And then they immediately fly the thing into a. It looks like a passenger airplane too. It's. I don't know. I I, I get what they're going for. They're going for cool, awesome espionage, but the execution is woof. It's not. I feel great. like cool, awesome espionage works better without Wolverine. But. I think it could work really well with Wolverine, but it could, not yeah. here. It just, it just, just doesn't. Not here. Yeah. yeah. So Avengers 339. Uh, or this wraps up the whole collection thing where the collector is turns out to be behind the whole thing. Beast is in this issue. I think he has two lines, one of which is, oh, my stars and garters. Yeah. But other than that, he doesn't really do anything. This, so. this issue really seems like it, it wants to be like – a major event because you've got the watcher, you've got celestials. Uh, it's just, but I, yeah, I didn't read it. <laughs> yeah. No, if you, if, if, yeah, if you're, if you're reading, reading the whole six part series, it definitely feels like the, the villain is primed up to be like a major character, but he's really not. Yeah. Um, and then the whole thing just kind of ends. It, by looking at the pictures alone and not reading very much of the dialogue, it looks like this was very much intended to be uh, an epic opus. But it, it wasn't. It wasn't terrible. It just wasn't my cup of tea. I guess I did read the whole thing, and the the story was kind of uh, a presentation of this big bad guy, and then it turns out that the big bad guy is being controlled by the collector, and that the the bad big bad guys people are some sort of disease which the collector then releases on the earth in order to collect the earth which is a prize he's always wanted and uh the avengers stop him by um commuting with the bad guys because the bad guys don't want this yeah well deathlock number four features uh the x-men and mentions forge although i don't think we actually ever see forge in this issue Forge has been kidnapped uh, yeah. by this Doctor Doom virus thing, and Deathlock discovered him a couple issues ago, along with a bunch of other of the cyber people yep. in the Deathlock universe or in the Marvel universe. Yep. And I guess uh, what's her name went and found the X Men, so the X Men are in a panel. Who's what's her name? Uh, the girl with the the girl who used to be in Iron Fist. And oh, Luke uh, Cage. Misty Knight. Misty Knight. Yeah, Misty Knight with the cyber arm. She yeah. went and found the X-Men and I guess the Fantastic Four as well. It also puts us in, a, in an interesting time period because the X-Men, well, number one, Jubilee's there. Uh, Storm may or may not be young. I don't think she's young. But either way, they're wearing their uh, blue and yellow togs. So this is definitely a couple of issues before X-Men number one. So this is after Extinction Agenda. Yes. But before X-Men number one. Right. Presumably. 
well, that the, the, that's the costumes that they're wearing. Yeah. Nothing's to say, I guess, they didn't just put those on <laughs> for this particular adventure. The Fantastic Four are here as well Actually, as... Actually, it's just Wolverine, Storm, and uh, Jubilee. Jubilee. It's not even all of the X-Men. Yeah. Oh, and Vision's here, too, for some reason. Vision's there as well. And then... Uh, the fantastic four yeah it's uh i remember this issue is this is not uh this is not jackson juice this is i think the kind of the regular guest penciler dennis codines or something like that um i don't like this issue it's there's a lot of just like green <laughs> uh, the it's just not a visually pleasant issue to look at dennis cohen dennis cohen um, and I think, you know, they're definitely going for like, well, you know, the circuit boards are green, so let's do a whole bunch of green. And it's just many pages of green and yellow and white. <laughs> so I re definitely read this issue front to back when I got it. Uh, probably never again. Back in the 90s? Back in the 90s, yeah. Even this time around, I was like, all right, where's Forge? Where's the X-Men? I do like that Machine Man's here. Yeah, he's he always looks cool. I like it's him. It's just a cool design. Yeah. And yep. he's also colorful. Yes. So it's that's... like a break from the green. and <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Like, oh my gosh, there's a pink guy here. It's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's that's the issue, really. Well, then uh, I guess this distraction allowed Deathlock to get free and aim his gun at the virus. Dr. Doom virus thing. Which is very connected to what's going on with Dr. Doom right now, I guess. With all the Doctor Doom's clone who thinks he's Doctor Doom and blah blah blah, isn't that always the case? Uh, what do you mean that there's a Doctor Doom clone that thinks he's Doctor Doom? I think it's finally been resolved. But well, yeah, it it went on for like a it's years. <laughs> so there were two Doctor Dooms running around, and one was the clone, and we weren't a hundred percent sure which one was the real one because they both thought they were. Okay. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's I, over now, I believe. I believe the real Doctor Doom is back. Then that takes us to Marvel Comics Presents number 75, which I couldn't read because my comic zeal crashes every time I try to open it on my iPad. Oh, really? So hopefully you read it. That's unfortunate. Yeah, uh, yeah, I read it. It's a Megan and Kitty Pride story in which they uh, there's some Russians, who Russian scientists who are uh, on the run, and they help them out. And one of them calls Kitty Katya. Oh. And so she has all of these flashbacks about Peter and she's still upset that he ran off with another woman, which I don't re quite recall as that being their last thing that happened to them. Is that the 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 uh, Secret Wars woman he ran off with? I don't know. I'm not sure because they don't <laughs> specify who the woman is. Because that was kind of the, the breaking point of their relationship. I can't think of any. Oh, maybe was it the... the Callisto was it Callisto maybe yeah. but no, no Callisto he wasn't even Peter by then she thinks he's dead right right so yeah it must it must be the Savage Land lady okay <laughs> I mean I guess I, I have no idea um anyway I didn't know who that was referring to but it it gets con it gets Kitty all confused which was nice it's nice that she still has feelings for Colossus and she's still kind of working through them um and they're brought back by this kind of Russian guy. There is an assassin after them whose name is Cypress, who talks in weird, stunted, uh, Cypress is on his way. Cypress is coming for you sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, they manage to uh, – Kitty just continuously phases people from being shot. But eventually 
uh, one of the two scientists gets shot and then that scientist shoots the other scientist in the back and says, we can't ever let what we know get out. So they both die and it's sad. Oh. And then Excal- the rest of Excalibur show up to help, but it's too late. Hmm. It was okay. Yeah, For those of you that don't know, Marvel Comics Presents is basically only Wolverine stories. So all the backup well, it's, stories. It's, it's, it's a one Wolverine story plus a backup story. I think by the, by issue 100, it's one Wolverine story, one Ghost Rider story and two backup stories. But my point is, is that the non Wolverine stories don't appear on Marvel unlimited for the most oh, part. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So I can't. So. Wonka. Yeah. I have issues with comic seal as well. This is a great app back in the day. Yeah. I feel like whoever maintains it is kind of phoning it in these days i don't think they're maintaining it i think that's the problem could could very well be i mean i think we've been using comic zeal easily for 10 years <laughs> yeah I, I think i was started using it when the first ipad came out so when was that i a long time ago but yeah. uh, i would imagine that the uh appetite audience or whatever for that um app it's probably been saturated. There's very few new purchases coming in, and I don't know yeah. what it takes to sort of license or or sell your thing out on uh, Apple's App Store. I'm sure it's predatory. I'm sure there's annual or monthly fees, so if you don't have the income coming in, it probably becomes sort of a cost rather than a, a way to make money. I don't know any of that for sure, but that's what I imagine. They're definitely not allowing you to host apps out there for free. Let's put it that way. The point being, if you, the listener knows of a really good comic reading iPad app that's free, 100% free. <laughs> I paid, um, no, I paid, I paid my... Actually, that's right. I did pay for Comic Seal. And it was like $7.99, $99, something like that. It was like $8, $9 uh, back when kind of the app standard was $0.99. Cents, and I was like, you know what the heck, the heck with it? I use this all the time. I will give this person that developed it the 8 or $9. You know what? I literally think I bought an iPad because comic zeal exists <laughs> like existed i was like oh you can read comics on an ipad now okay i'm buying an ipad right exactly and i and i so yeah i went in and i paid whatever the amount of money was for comic zeal back then because that was the whole reason i bought it there's and a, then i just started uh putting comics on it yeah there's a um uh looks like there's an app called panels that has at least reviews as of 2022 so maybe maybe that's something that we need to investigate let us know listeners if there's like an awesome and i guess i guess it doesn't have to be free but free is always better free is better but well this day and age like again i'm gonna go back into my old man time machine there was a point in time where you could get free apps that didn't have like predatory advertisement on it i feel like any free comic reader is going to have a header and a footer just like filled with rotating advertisements so honestly i would pay 10 bucks right for for the just app to not have that just to not have any ads own the thing clean view and i'll pay the money I, I just i can't i can't have like a rotating advertisement i can't even play like the iphone games where they're they're free to play if it's got like a, a thing on it i can't do it i just can't look at that hate it the uh, the chief thing is that the comic reader needs to be able to read CBR files because like, we have that's pretty much the most of what we have. Right. So if it doesn't do that, it's no good to us. Can com- Comixology do that? I don't know. I don't know either. But uh, yeah, I feel yeah. like Comixology is like 
it's like uh, there's like a Marvel thing where you buy comics as they come in and you read them on the non. So you got Marvel Unlimited and then you got the Mar- the other Marvel thing. Yeah. And Marvel Unlimited is all the the backlog of stuff. And then the other thing is stuff where you buy issues as they come in and you can read up to date issues that way. And I think comiXology is like that where you you can only read what you buy. There's a but I could be wrong about that. There's an app called iComics designed to read all of those file formats, uh, and it's $1.99. So there's options out there. Uh, but, yeah, before we spend our, our hard-earned money <laughs> on, on some app, uh, definitely like to solicit some feedback from our listeners as to outside of Marvel Unlimited where – you you know look we pay for marvel unlimited right so we're not yeah. trying to steal anything <laughs> uh, and the majority of the issues that we get are stuff that we own exactly right the majority. i just don't want to go into the box and pull out the issue so i can right. read it for this so really just looking for the top notch as adam mentioned cbr reader that uh that people use yeah so anything else adam no no that's it great well, until next time, you can reach us at uh, www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast. Uh, are we still, in, still doing Twitter? Sure. I mean, not? for now. At uh, danger room go. I, 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 is anybody using Twitter? I guess that's the real question. <laughs> I see people tweeting still. Um, okay. I just feel like at some point, like they're going to come and ask us for money to. to and if that ever happens, we're, we're out. Gone. <laughs> So until that day, at Danger Room Go, uh, or you can just email us the old-fashioned way, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to like and subscribe and leave feedback and all that great stuff. And if you want to visit uh, the aforementioned Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash dangerroom, where you can get Adam and Jeremy's hot takes on pop culture as well as other X-Men related content. Until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. (laughs) 